This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, everyone. Thank you for watching The Naturalist Capitalist. I am doing a late night stream tonight because I had a long ass day. I worked about 14 hours, drove about 600 miles with an oversized load that did not like going up hills. So I got a pretty special guest today. Um, if I'm wrong and he's right and God does exist, it seems like God does not want him to come on this show because I think this is the third time in a row that we've tried to schedule this thing. And every time something, you know, something obstructs it from happening, but we push through anyway. So I've got Jacob Winograd of the Biblical Anarchy podcast on the show. How are you doing tonight? Good, man. I uh, I really wanted to make a, uh, I'm sorry you had to carry my mom around all day, Jake, when you were talking about a heavy load that didn't want to go up hills. I'm, I'm still, uh, still stuck in high school in my mind, I guess, though. <laughs> Oh, good. I mean, you follow me on Twitter, you know. Yeah, I, I was like, I can make that joke here. <laughs> um, so is it Jacob Winogrid or Jacob Daniel? Is that your middle name? or what So is Daniel is my middle name. Um, I didn't have my last name on my profile for the longest time. Um, and then when I named my podcast, it's Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy. I just kind of stuck with it. Um, and plus, I don't know, I maybe don't want to advertise my last name all over the place, but it is... Oh on my profile now um i did that because my wife got involved and i don't know it was just like her name was winograd so i wanted to make obvious that we were married or something so i don't know but um but yeah it's uh winograd is my uh last name but i just go by jacob daniel more commonly well sorry if i wasn't supposed to broadcast your name oh no it's it, it's it's what i'm still figuring it out as i go if i want to even broadcast it or not because like some people do and for them it works I've already had, and I'm not even that big yet. Like I'm smaller than you and I've already had some nasty people come after me and dox me and shit. So recently I've begun to go back down that rabbit trail of uh, do I, how much do I want to advertise about my identity? I feel like sometimes it's futile in this day and age to even try to um, hide stuff though. Like it's worth, it's more, it's more of a cost than what you can gain out of it. I think for a lot of yeah and yeah uh rob someone made a comment like russian and yeah my last name winograd is literally the russian word for a grape so um that's why uh like i was on a blackbird podcast with my friend james jediman and he called me jacob the grape so uh that, that is accurate <laughs> so uh caleb wants you to put a uh an intro i actually did see part of your uh your your little pre-broadcast you did before you came on here while i was driving i caught a little bit of it and i heard you guys talking about an intro so uh caleb wants you to put one in there apparently yeah everyone keeps bugging me for an intro um i don't know it's like i i have like a little like cutesy intro like a little like musical thing that plays before my podcast on like spotify apple podcasts and all that mm -hmm. um i don't do it for the live but i don't know i mean maybe i'll make something at some point but I just, you know, it's on the never-ending list of to-do things. <laughs> sure. So tell us about your, uh, before we get into your podcast, just tell us about yourself. What's 
what, what's your deal? Where do you, uh, where do you live? Where do you come from? What's your background? How did you become a libertarian? How did you become a Christian? Were you raised those ways? Just give us, give us the lowdown. Okay. Um, I was raised a Christian. I've pretty much been a Christian my whole life. I mean, I didn't have a huge, like some people that are raised Christian have a huge rebellious phase. I mean, I had like a mini one, but not one that caused me to like question my faith. I was just, you know, young and in high school and, you know, my parents didn't want me to date uh, yet, and I did. So <laughs> that was the, uh, you know, sneaking over to girls' houses and, houses and stuff when I was a teenager and stuff. But I've always been Christian. I've always uh, been strongly, like, convinced of the uh, the truth of the Bible and of, you know, the story of Jesus pr- primarily. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know, like the kind of cliche thing, like, you know, I – I profess Jesus as like my Lord and savior. Like, you know, for me, it's a very personal thing. Like I feel like my relationship to God and the Bible and, and through Jesus and like his sacrifice, like it has a personal meaning for me. Um, you know, I'm not very religious in the sense of like, like I go to church, but it's not very like um, liturgical church. And I'm not very big on like all the, you know, like I, I curse, I make, you know, I have a kind of dark, twisted sense of humor. I, uh, um, I don't know, like, I don't believe in acting religious in like the, like, you know, kind of dogmatic kind of way. Um, and I, I think that's actually more biblical than what people realize. I feel like, um, you know, if you look back, there's some cool, like when Jesus turned water into wine and, and, and there's other things in the Bible where it's just like, you know, I, the story that I think show kind of like what the true nature of, being a Christian should be. And it's not supposed to be like, you know, no fun. And just, you're constantly worried about like, I I don't know, like not offending people all the time. Um, but, uh, I, I was raised in a conservative household, um, as far as like my political views and coming out of high school, I was like a, uh, I I was on a college track for a while, then decided not to be. And I ended up working at my dad's auto shop. I rebuild transmissions for a living now. Um, but, because I was like in like, I was taking like AP history and all this. And I was taught a very revisionist, like and very intentionally taught like the revisionist history of like American politics and, and economics and stuff. So I kind of became a bit of a leftist post high school, even though I had the conservative Christian upbringing. Um, so I was like a progressive Christian. I was a Bernie Sanders supporter back in like 2015, 2016. Oh, wow. um, I might get canceled on this show for saying this, but I actually voted wow. for Hillary Clinton in 2016 um so I voted like for romney in 2012 and i voted for john Kasich in the primary in new hampshire in 2016 so you, you i feel like hillary's worse but i don't know <laughs> they're all yes. pretty bad uh yeah. but uh so so yeah i i kind of you know was on the left although because i had my christian roots like there were some things that made me even a zebra among horses on the left like i didn't always quite fit in there perfectly but i was still kind of you know very economically left even socially left a bit like i was a bit of a a bit of an sjw you know go around calling people racists and bigots and all that for their views and stuff um but then like trump kind of shattered everything for me because like there was all the fear-mongering around him and like he's a racist homophobe transphobe he's gonna start all these wars and stuff and and not to say trump was great but like a year in i realized like okay so that was a lot of fear-mongering and it wasn't really that accurate. And, you know, I was starting to talk more with conser- like conservatives and stuff. And um, I, I, I watched a debate between Ben Shapiro and Cenk Uger, which as much as Ben Shapiro sucks on a lot of other things, he's good on economics. And that mm-hmm. shattered my view of Keynesian economics and kind of like social democracy and all that. Because um, he, he basically debunked the idea that universal health care works. And I was right. a big, like, I was, I was into Bernie Sanders. I was like, universal healthcare, free education. Like, those were the things I pushed. And then when I started to actually learn about economics, that was sort of like my intro into libertarianism. And um, that I, I, from Shapiro, I got into Dave Rubin. From Rubin, I got into Rogan. Rogan, I met Dave Smith. Dave Smith then was the, you know, intro to everything else. I found local libertarians in my area. I got involved in the Mises Caucus. Um, so I very rapidly over like a two year period went from Bernie bro to anarcho capitalist. Um, so that's, that's how I kind of ended up where I'm at now. And then I started my podcast and page because I 
then like the final step in the journey was I tried to connect my political beliefs to my religious ones. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Yeah. So I was raised, uh, you know, very conservatively and very Christian. And it was when I left high school, I started working and I started expanding my horizons. I realized that conservatism, at least like neoconservatism and this new weird, um, you know, form of conservatism that's overtaken the country, it really didn't align with Christian values at all. Um, because in my mind, Jesus was an anarchist. I've, I've thought this for a long time. I, I, I do want to get into whether or not he's a, he was a libertarian, but I I did think he was an anarchist. I did think he was someone who did not advocate, advocate for government force or didn't even really necessarily care about the government. It seemed to me when I was a Christian that Jesus really cared about, um, the condition of your soul. And that was pretty much all that mattered, like your soul and other people's souls. And so this whole this whole injection of Jesus into this like right wing evangelical culture, especially when it got into things like Zionism and then into state mandates of morality. I was really disconnected from that from an early um, an early political age. You know, once I actually got out of the house and started thinking on my own and really diving into these things. Um, did you ever have that sudden disconnect or was that just that? Oh, that yeah. Was... Yeah. Well, that was part of why I fell into the left, too, was seeing how awful the neoconservatives were and how awful evangelical uh, circles were. Um, and they didn't reflect Christ very well. And as much as I have issue today with like progressive Christianity, there is an element there that they got right i think like they they rejected the neoconservatism but like then like went hardcore embracing the statism and the socialism which i hate but but there's their version of jesus in a lot of ways is a bit closer to mine in terms of like uh i don't know like not being this weird authoritarian i guess in, in this like uh control freak that they make jesus out to be um uh and and kind of like what you said like you know as far as like like the one thing the left is still good on to this day, even as much as I don't like the modern left, they aren't as like cucked for American exceptionalism sure. and like, you know, worshiping the flag, worshiping Ameri- American imagery and stuff like that. And uh, that was like very prominent on the right and turned and it's always turned me off. I've always had libertarian leanings, I guess, in my, my, my personality. Uh, so that was part of what draw, drew me to the left too. It wasn't just the economics, but like it was, those were the first Christians I found that weren't like just super, you know, like worshipy of the the state. And, you know, Jesus always talks about uh, my kingdom is not of this world. I think that the primary reason that the Jews rejected Jesus as Messiah and even today reject him as Messiah is because he like rejected politics and to the Jews, the Messiah was more of a political figure and supposed to bring about more of a political salvation more so than a spiritual one. So, uh, yeah, I think your intuitions were, were accurate. Yeah. I mean, progressives as, um, you know, as screwed up as their economics are or, or their, their, their state mandate of economics. I do feel like in general, like a, that a truly good progressive, only wants the state to be there to help the people who need help, you know, like, I mean, yeah. there is like a lot of, um, there, there's a, there's a big mess with like these progressives who say they're great on these things. And then they're not like the, the young Turks, people like that, but yeah, really sincere progressives who, um, you know, just want a safety net. I feel like when it comes to everyday life, they don't really want to control you. You know, they just, they, they care about the people who are trodden upon and then they want to live their own lives. The problem is like liberals and leftists and progressives have all become this mesh of one identity to everybody who's not on the left. Um, Where I've interviewed a lot of great like far leftists on the show who are against vaccine mandates. They're against, um, you know, they're, they're against gun control. They're against like all these social controls that a lot of left-leaning people want. They're just, you know, they still want the strong safety net. But that in general seemed more akin to free will. You know, the idea that, you know, you make your own decisions, um, which is very Christian, you know, the, the idea that it's up to you, uh, you know, your salvation and whether or not you feel sorry about the things you've done. 
where conservatism was much more authoritarian. It was sort of Old Testament, yeah. life, you know, instead of the New Covenant, I guess. Yeah, very, very theocratic in nature. Um, and and focusing too much on condemning people and sort of like almost like this. It's like they have it backwards. They're like, you have to clean your act up before you come to Christ, which is like the opposite of what the Bible teaches, which is like, yeah. no, like you actually can't clean your mess up before you come to Christ. That's why Jesus did what he did was because like he needed to be that advocate for you to save you and the you know like you get born again and it's and it's not like a instant thing there's a process of sanctification and growing closer and becoming more christ-like over time um and the renewing of your mind um like one of my favorite christian podcasts is by rc Sproul. that was called the renewing your your mind podcast because it's the idea that like it's a never-ending journey of just trying to um you know let go more of the earthly sinful uh side of you and 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 grow closer to christ but it's only through christ and through what he did that that's possible and too much of right-wing evangelical the evangelical churches are like the opposite it's like we want our hospital to be filled only with healthy people like it's just it's they have it completely backwards and even today it's you know like I'm, i'm kind of homeless when it comes to a church like i have a church i attend kind of frequently but um and i, I want to find a church to like plug my family into but there's just you know it, it, the progressive churches are too statist the conservative churches are sometimes less statist but but more they're still authoritarian in their in their uh orientation which i i find to be problematic yeah what do you think of the the right-wing christian embrace of trump because obviously he's not really he i wouldn't call trump a neocon quite i mean he definitely had some of those tendencies but he was a a different breed he was something yeah. new but it was really ironic to me how um you know how quickly and how easily the christian right accepted him uh did that drive you nuts at all or what did you think about oh that? yeah oh yeah well like you know, it, it drove me nuts at first because I was a leftist when he sure. was b- big. And, and to me, it was like cementing. I was like, well, like, wow, like Trump is bringing out literally the worst things of the right wing Christian uh, circles that like made me not like them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and even now, like as I, you know, become a, a libertarian, I still see now it's like my problem with Trump is less the the like basically lies that were told about him or at least like the fear mongering and stuff and the propaganda about him that I, I was told when I was a leftist. Uh, now it's more just like, I see conservatives who kind of like, like they treat Trump like the, it's, he's the latest golden calf. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's very much a personality cult and it's the whole like 3d trust. Trump is still my president and all this, all this stuff. And it's like, they, it's like Trump is Jesus to them. Like he's the new savior. And, you know, I mean, a mantra of Christian anarchism is no king but Christ. And I don't know, like, to me, that crystallizes it so perfectly in those four words. It's like, if you're looking to anything in this world as your savior, if you're putting your hope in anything other than Christ, you're probably not doing Christianity right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Christianity, um, you know, when I really internalized it, it was probably... Um, I don't know how old I was. I, I was probably a teenager and I always had some issues with it. And then there, there's some stuff that I don't know if I really ever believed about it. But um, when it was the realest to me that it ever was, it, it was sort of like a universalist Christianity that I believed in. I didn't you know, necessarily believe that all the events in the Bible were historical. I thought a lot of them were metaphorical. I eventually got to a place where I didn't really believe that hell was a thing anymore. And so it basically just got so vague that I had to kind of reset and say, okay, what do I actually believe here? Is Am I just believing this stuff because it's what I'm so used to? Or is this really sincere? Do I actually believe in any of this? But when I was still in that point of accepting Christianity and, you know, I believed in it the most that I ever did, I really think I was pretty in line with what you think about, um, you know, the state and Christianity that that was always and I already mentioned this a little bit, but that was always really repulsive to me when they would try to mix Christianity with government. And I always thought it was pretty biblical that at least in the New Testament, not so much the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, you know, Jesus was really against the church, he really hated the Pharisees, um, yep. He hated the merger of business and church and state and church. 
And even some of the Old Testament, you know, like when uh, Samuel was talking to the Israelites and they said, we want a king. And he said, no, you don't. You know, if you have a king, he's going to take this much of your crop. He's going to yeah. enlist your sons. You know, you don't want this. You want God. And they were like, no, no, no. Give us a king. Give us a king. And then he finally gave them a king and it was Saul and it was terrible and it was a disaster. So I, I always kind of, um, I, I think for the most part, when I was a Christian and it was real to me, I pretty much agreed with you. But why don't you give us your basic philosophy on why Christianity can bring people to anarchy, why they go hand in hand and why they're not opposites. Yeah, sure. Um, the way I like to uh, like split it into two categories, there's two types of relationships that the Bible talks about. There's the vertical relationship between God and man. And that's the one that people often think is in conflict with anarchism. Um, uh, I don't think it is. And I can, I'll get into that as I go. Then there's the horizontal relationships. And these are the ones where it's the most obvious. I think that Christianity is um, uh, not just in uh, good keeping or it's uh, like um, compatible with anarchism. I think it actually preaches anarchism. Um, and, and that's the sense that um, no man has the right to own another man. Like to me, it's, you know, like I'm an anarcho capitalist, I'm a, you know, Austrian, and I believe in the idea of self ownership and property rights. And I think that the teachings of the Bible regarding uh, property, regarding our relationships to our brothers and sisters, to our neighbors, even to our enemies, are pretty clear in that uh, we don't have the right to be the master or the owner of other people uh, or to initiate force against them or violate their rights. Um, and, you know, that's pretty consistent. Um, you know, some of the confusions can be around like the scriptures re regarding authority. And um, I think that the easiest way to dispel that is to remind people of what Jesus talked about when he talked about being a leader. Um, Jesus equated being a leader to being a servant. And it's not in the like, uh, cliche, cringy way where politicians call themselves public servants, but in the actual biblical way of being a servant. And I think this was um, great. The, the greatest example of this was Jesus himself, not just like his entire life and um, and sacrifice as you know, like the 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 uh, ministry he had, but also in the story where he washed his apostles' feet as a demonstration. He was like basically like to be a leader, to be uh, someone who who was considered a good a good le leader and faithful to God is to be a servant to to, to those around you um and and this is repeated throughout the New Testament and and really a lot of the New Testament is echoing the Old Testament so you can find it there as well um you know there's like you know, a passage in John where he says if anyone serves me he must follow me and uh, where I am there will be my servant also. Uh, Galatians talks about like uh, we're called to freedom, but we use our our freedom not as an opportunity for the flesh, but at, but through love to serve one another. Uh, Mark ten forty two, um, Jesus warns his apostles. He says the Gentiles, you know, they're, they're obsessed with these kingdoms of men, and they're always trying to rule over one another. He actually uses the word uh, the Greek version of archist. It's like archon or archonist or something like that, and he's like. The, the, the Gentiles are always trying to be archists over one another. It, it will not be that way among you. And it's like, you know, the very strong um, uh, teaching in the New Testament about how like we're all, we're all equal in Christ, that, that none of us are different in Christ. And uh, so, yeah, I think self-ownership and the idea that, that no one owns anyone else is the consistent teaching of specifically Jesus. And then, you know, I think that's consistent the whole way through, through the Bible. Uh, property rights and all that. And and when you start to, like what I push on a lot in my podcast is people conflate, and this is something talked about in just general libertarian theory too, people conflate governance with statism and they conflate authority with statism. And to me, like that is the great lie and one of the greatest successes of state propaganda is they've robbed these words and made them only to be associated with the state and with central planning. And that's just not true. You can have authority, you can have governance, um, you know, in in the market. You can have rules, you can have law. Yeah. And so, like, you know, to me, true anarchists and true libertarians, we're not against order, we're not against law, we're not against governance. What we're against is the monopoly of those things that is that is created through the initiation of force um, via, you know, what we call the state and something that violates 
law. Um, basically, like the, the, the best way I can summarize it is that the state isn't an agent of order. The state is actually an agent of chaos when you think about it, because it violates the very supposed natural law that it's justifying itself by. Sure. So do you see why people could get an authoritarian message out of the Bible? Because I kind of took... I kind of took the same direction you did when I was a Christian, but I could see why people would become authoritarian Zionist statists also, especially because of how high the stakes are. You know, like if, if you, um, if you see certain verses that seem to advocate for control or to allow violence in some situations, and then you also see that, you know, the stakes are so high that all these people are going to hell and these false prophets are misleading them. Can you can you see why people would go that way? I guess. I mean, I can I can kind of understand where they're where they're coming from, um, but I, I think the problem is, I mean, we have centuries of the church where it was literally mixed with the state when they were like one and the same. So a lot of a lot of like uh, traditions and teachings of Christianity are are corrupted in that sense. So. Uh, in the same sense that public schools now are like indoctrination camps, the church for a long time was used as an indoctrination camp. So a lot of Christianity has been warped in that sense. Um, then there's like, there's also certain passages that get misused. Like the most common one is Romans 13. Um, it's like the, the biggest one. Like it literally, uh, any conversation about Christian anarchism, my, my my running gag is like you can't go five minutes without it coming up and it's almost been proven sh- true like every uh podcast this might be the first podcast i've been on where i think we've gone more than five minutes without it being brought up like when i went on josh uh smith's show like it was like literally five minutes romans 13 came up in the comments i know when uh malice went on michael knoll's show and the minute christian anarchy came up because uh malice had a famous christian anarchist uh tolstoy he yeah. had his uh writings in in the anarchist handbook and so when they got on that subject, Noel was like, yeah, but what about Romans 13? And it's just, um, for me, I get tired of it because like, I, I feel like we have good answers for it and they just don't take the time to look at it. But like, even a passage of Romans 13, like on its face, like if you look it up, like I have it pulled up here because I was prepared for it. Like they, you know, the, you know, when you look up verses online, they always like have like names to the chapter and stuff so like it's all framed like it's supposed to be talking about the state but again like i said the state is actually an agent of chaos that uh contradicts what it's claiming to do and so like the the proof text for example like people don't read like the whole chapter in the context of the book and they don't do enough critical thinking like romans 13 is really easy to debunk in my opinion because romans 13 starts out by saying that everyone be subject to the governing authorities the word there being accusia and Accusia has a lot of different uses in, in the New Testament. And uh, what I like to tell people is that the only times it's used, it's only used a handful of times to describe states or king, or like like kings. And whenever it's described that way, they're described as demonic forces of Satan. So it's like, pick your poison. If gov- if the word Accusia means state, then you're, you know, the most consistent, uh, you know, way of reading Romans 13 would be saying that we must submit to demonic evil kingdoms of Satan. So you know, make that, make that leap if you dare. Uh, the more consistent uh, worse of the use accusia in this context is actually, it's talking about heavenly authority or, or like moral authority. And the, so it says everyone be subject to the governing authorities where there's no authority except that which God has established. Um, and then says uh, in verse three, for rulers no, hold no terror to those who do right, but for those who do wrong, do you want to be do you want to be free from fear of one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for rulers do not bear the sword in uh, for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So all this takes a little bit of critical thinking. Is the state only a terror to those who do evil? And is it, something that people who are good and doing what is right have no reason to fear. It's pretty much the exact opposite. And this is why I get, again, the state is actually an agent of chaos when you take an actual critical examination of it. And even God says this, like you brought this up already. Go back to first Samuel eight, God pretty much like, you know, judges is actually, so the book of judges precedes first and second Samuel and judges was basically a like 
covenant community, like anarchist society, basically, like a like a like a Jewish, you know, biblical uh, anarchist society. They were kind of led by the elders and stuff, but the tribes were very decentralized. They and were an you know, theocracy, if you can imagine that. Yeah, and you know, things weren't yeah. perfect in the Book of Judges. Some some bad stuff happened. There was a civil war at the end. So, and you know, that's not surprising to me. I mean. I think you would agree with me, like anarchists and libertarians, we're not saying, hey, we get rid of the state and utopia is ushered in. Like, no, bad shit still happens. Um, The state just doesn't make it better. And that's basically the the book of Judges into 1 Samuel is basically like that exact lesson spelled out. It's like, yeah, anarchy kind of sucks sometimes, but the state, central planning, kings, they suck worse. (laughs) God literally warns them, like, the, this king, the, here's the conduct of the king you're going to ask for. He's going to take half your shit. He's going to enslave your children to to plow his harvest and to um, uh, serve in the front lines of his wars. And uh, he's going to take your w- women and, and daughters and stuff to be his. Uh, and you will cry out to be delivered from the king that that you've asked for. And on that day, I will not deliver you. Um, which God actually does repeatedly. Like the rest of the Old Testament is basically this repeated theme theme of Israel falling, like asking for, like getting a new king. The king leads them into idolatry. They get taken over by a foreign nation. Israel repents, but they don't truly repent. They repent, but then they're like back to the no, we need a king. Um, and it, it and literally the other thing in First Samuel that that I like to point out too is that at the beginning, when Samuel goes to God and he's like. Uh, hey, they're asking for a king. What do I do? And God's like, well, don't worry about it. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me just like they've done from the very day I brought them out of Egypt. And he's referencing the golden calf. So really, it's like when you look at this, it doesn't, to me, it's just very self-evident that God's pretty much telling us that like when you ask for a king, when you ask for humans to be rulers and masters over other people, you are committing a form of idolatry. So as much as like, to me, the state, violates the other like there's the it violates a lot of the ten commandments it violates do not murder it violates do not steal um i would i I would say it also it promotes coveting you know what your neighbor has and stuff like that but the most primary commandment it breaks is the first two which is to you know love god and to bow down to no idol Mm -hmm. so so what about slavery i mean the bible doesn't really seem to reject slavery. And the funny thing is, um, the, the thing about the Bible is, it, I mean, you know how the Constitution is, it, I feel like the Constitution is pretty well written and pretty clear, but people will try to say, oh, no, this isn't constitutional. You know, the Constitution actually doesn't want you to have an AR-15 because of, you know, it, it seems like anyone can make any argument they want to with the Constitution. Mm-hmm. The Bible is much more vague and much bigger than the constitution so it seems like people are able to make whatever argument they want to back up their logic and so they can say you know they can find verses here and there and then they can emphasize certain parts uh but slavery it seems to me the easiest way to condemn slavery would have it in the 10 commandments and say you shall not own another human where it it doesn't seem like it ever is that explicit and then there are times when jesus even says like slaves obey your masters so, so what about slavery in the Bible? How is, how, how do you, um, cause in, in the beginning of this episode, you were saying that it's very biblical that you cannot own another person. Where do you find that? Um, how do you, how do you rectify that? Well, to me, it's about, um, and there's this idea in Christianity and in apologetics called progressive revelation. Um, that, you know, God is very much aware of how corrupt and evil we are. And so the, the the revelation and the and the pushing to a higher standard of righteousness, like that increases throughout the Bible. Like when we see this in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus pushes the moral teachings of the Old Testament. He doesn't contradict them, but he says, it's this isn't enough. Like this was the bare minimum standard I gave you when you were like, you know, complete heathens coming out of Egypt and you still fail to live up to that. But, you know, this is what I'm pushing you towards. Um, and this is why, you know, a lot of the first anti-slavery movements were Christian, um, uh, what, what's the term? Um, abolitionists. Abolitionists, yeah. yeah. I was like, I kept, I kept wanting to say agorists. Like, no, it's not agorists. It's the other A word. Um, but yeah, the, the, the abolitionists, because again, it's the idea that we're, we're, we're taking the, the general moral principles that God gave us and we're 
we're, we're pressing them more uh, towards like universalizing them and, um, so and continuing that-, that tradition. And, you know, the, the other classic apologist uh, point here to make is that there's a little bit of a conflation in the Bible between like slavery and like indentured servitude. And, yeah. and a lot of time there's a lot of mixture in terms of like what the scriptures are talking about there. Indentured servitude was a economic, like universal and even slavery was. And sometimes they kind of were muddy in terms of like what the, the difference between the two of them was, um, yeah. you know, even in the old Testament and stuff, there were a lot of, rules and restrictions about how you treated your servant all debts were wiped clear every seven years in the year of jubilee so there was that um and, and again i think you know one of the most classic bible stories is god setting his people free from slavery in egypt and in that case god was very anti-slavery um so i think it's more about like god realizing like listen i could lay out perfectly here's everything you have to do to be perfect but like he knew, okay, if I give this to the Israelites, they're not going to follow it. They failed to live up to the, like, you know, by our standards today, we look at the the moral teachings of the Old Testament, and we're like, yeah, this stuff's good, and this stuff's like, wow, that's barbaric. And we're like, yeah, it's barbaric, but you compare it to the surrounding cultures, and it was actually highly evolved. Um, and then Jesus pushes the, the um, raises the bar in the New Testament. And then the Christian tradition, not perfectly, but continues to try to raise the bar. And, and to, to live in that continually trying to uh, look at ourselves and to be like, okay, well, you know, let's look at the Ten Commandments. Let's look at the, the example of Jesus. And that's really where we have to as Christians, we're, you know, Christ, we're Christians, right? So let's look at the walk of Jesus. And there's really not much other than like, yeah, Jesus said, treat your slaves, treat your masters well. That was kind of in the vein of like Roman, of like turn the other cheek. And kind of like the idea of like, don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. So kind of like that kind of uh, context is what Jesus is. Because like it was, Jesus always talked about like, if you're put in a shitty situation, you can be bitter about it. You can rebel against it. But what might be better for you in the long run is actually to just take that on nobly. And say, yeah, like, like, like bear your cross nobly. Like Jordan Peterson talks about that. Mm-hmm. Um, look at the example of Joseph in the, in the, in the book of Genesis. Like, he had probably like the worst set of circumstances happen. His brother sell him into slavery sure. and then he's slave, but he, he, he just, he's like, oh, I'm going to excel at being a slave. And then he's like promoted up in the the positions. He's trusted with a lot of things. And then he's betrayed, put back in jail, but he still has faith in God. And he still tries to be the best he can be in his circumstances. So, you know, that that's like the, I don't want to go too long on this. It's a very complicated subject and I'm not, there are Christian apologists that probably have better, more like expounded answers on the topic of slavery, but that's kind of like the general overview of what, uh, you know, I think the Bible says on slavery and why I, I think most Christians have naturally over time realized that even though there's not like a specific passage that just like, you know, thou shalt not take slaves. Um, th- there's a, historical and theological evolution at play here that Christians have, have come to understand. Yeah. I mean, Joseph, in fact, he forgives his brothers instead of following the law of the old Testament. So my question with that theory that, you know, we're supposed to continually push the envelope with morality. Can that be a slippery slope? Cause that does seem to be like what progressive Christianity is about and Hmm. universalism, things like that. So getting rid of the idea of hell, getting rid of the idea of homosexuality being a sin, it, it seems like that's kind of what they're doing. So is there a slippery slope there? How do you how do you draw the line? Because I know you said that, um, you know, Jesus didn't contradict the Old Testament, um, but he kind of did. I mean, it was it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and then turn the other cheek is the new. I mean, that's kind of a tr- contradiction. It's kind of like so that's that's but, a common. I would say it's a common. Like I understand your perspective, and that's a common and it's understandable to have that position. But mm-hmm. I don't. I actually don't think what Jesus said there was contradicting because actually there are passages in the Old Testament where it talks about loving your enemies and if your enemy does you harm and you return to them in kindness, it's like dumping coals on their head. And so Jesus was actually echoing the old Testament back to them. And basically the theme, like that, that passage came from a sermon on the Mount and the sermon on the Mount can be understood in like 
this general framing. And it's kind of like what I was referencing earlier with slavery. Um, the Old Testament law was not a standard to do this and you have obtained the highest level of righteousness. Mm-hmm. It was like, here's the minimal standard of laws you need to follow to not be in my wrath. And it was like, it was almost like, this is as evil as I will allow you to be. But Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount is saying, listen, just because I give you a limit on how evil you can be, doesn't mean I want you to just ride that line and be like, ha, look, I'm being as evil as I can be. Look at me. It's like, no, the goal shouldn't be to be as evil as you can be. The goal should be to be as righteous as you can be. And so what Jesus is doing is reminding them of a lot of stuff that's in the Old Testament that they cherry pick out, that they ignore. And so it's much easier to be like, well, you said eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus, like, well, that's a legal code in terms of like, if someone steals from you, they owe you back what they stole. But like, if someone steals a loaf of bread from you, you don't burn their house down. So like, that was sort of like the reason for that legal precedent was to be like reciprocity in law. Like if someone, uh, you know, punches you, you can't go murder their wife. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's just, those are incongruent. Like, you know what I mean? You can't take revenge and go above and beyond. But Jesus is like, okay, well, just because eye for nine, a tooth for tooth is the legal precedent in terms of like barring how far you can go with restitution doesn't mean that that is all I've ever said on the subject of what happens when somebody steals from you. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. Did Jesus give us the fullest extent of morality or do you think it goes beyond what Jesus told us in the New Testament? I think Jesus was the uh, best representation of of uh of two things one like like you know i i'm I'm a trinitarian so i believe that jesus i believe in the trinity and that jesus was god i think jesus is the like the the best picture of god's love and god's heart for human for humankind for man um and i think that jesus um is in, in a general sense yes in terms of like he he gives us the uh the framework by which we like it, it is it is the the highest level of morality in the sense of like it was god walking on earth so like um and he was giving us that framework obviously we've had to take that and apply that in terms of like universally applying it to all areas of life and as we've as we've um i guess to put it this way like jesus gave us the highest level of morality, but Jesus didn't touch on every subject, I guess would be to say, you know what I mean? So like we have to take the moral principles that Jesus gave us, which was like a crystallizing and, and a uh, refocusing of what he had always been saying, even throughout the old Testament. And then saying like, all right, like, you know, again, like using the sermon of, of the Mount as a sort of like focal point to be like, let's try to, like I, I wouldn't say like we should be trying to go beyond Jesus, and I think that's the problem that the progressives have is they're like, oh well, like we can ascend past the morality that Jesus teaches. I'm like, well, I don't think you can. I think you can just learn to apply it more consistently in your own personal life and to apply it to more areas in in society, such as slavery or such as the treatment of women or minorities or 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 what have you. And I don't think there's anything wrong with with those things, but, but there's a point where you've gone too far and you're, you're adding things in there that aren't actually part of like, like, like the focus on progressivism where they start like pushing the idea of like positive rights and stuff like that. Like that's where they, they've, they've gone too far, for example. And they're, uh, or like the, uh, using the state to, to, uh, provide welfare and all that. Like it's an example of going like Jesus, you did say like what you've done to the least of these you've done unto me. But he said what you've done, not what you licensed state thug, you know, thugs hired by the state to do on your behalf. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, my dad used to say everything in the Bible is true, but not everything that is true is in the Bible. Would you kind of say that's a good summary of what you were saying there? Like the idea that hmm. um, as long as you're not contradicting what's in the Bible, there are other truths and things that you can spread the message to areas that maybe Jesus didn't talk about, but you can kind of see how they would fit. Is that a good way to put it there? Yeah, I think that's probably generally true. Um, 
I'd have to chew on that a little bit, but I, I think I'm not finding any problem with that. I think that's that's probably mostly accurate. Like not every like everything in the Bible and everything that Jesus said specifically is to me true. But again, it's like he didn't like you can't talk about everything because then the like the Bible would literally like never end, right? <laughs> like there's so many different circumstances, right? Like you couldn't write them all down in a book. So uh, you can't literally write down a commandment or a passage that will touch every single conceivable circumstance in life or every single statement of truth that you could ever come up with. But it, it certainly gives you a sufficient framework and foundation to build upon and to, and, and to universalize out. Yeah, I get you. So um, going back to the idea of Jesus being an anarchist, which is what I thought when Christianity was the realest ever that it was to me, I didn't really think he was a libertarian. Um, so I thought that he didn't believe in government force. He didn't believe in coercion. But um, there were a couple things that didn't seem very libertarian about uh, the way he was. So one thing to me, libertarianism, uh, a core tenant is it matters what you do, not what you think. Like if you, uh, mm. you know, we, we don't punish people for thought crimes in libertarianism at all. But uh, the Bible is one of the most thought crime punishing books out there, especially in the New Testament, because Jesus is actually, the Old Testament is actually a little bit more tolerant of thought crimes. But in the New Testament, Jesus says, I don't care if you haven't, um, committed adultery if you look at a woman with lust you have already done it in your heart yep you've looked at uh if you've looked at your your brother with hatred then you've killed him in your heart um that didn't seem very libertarian to me the idea that you know just because your thoughts bring you somewhere or your emotions bring you somewhere but you don't actually do the dirty deed you are still just as guilty what do you think about that yeah that's interesting um I guess my, my answer to that would be that, you know, libertarianism is a thin philosophy that describes like rights and like a legal framework and the non-aggression principle. And, you know, we all here understand that Christianity yeah. is compatible with libertarianism, but, you know, it's, it is a deeper moral philosophy. So, right. you know, libertarianism is what is required to be sufficiently operating in like cooperation with with those around you uh but the bible goes beyond that to talk about i guess like morality in in the christian sense and sort of like your relationship to god um and what it takes to be a good person and i think we all kind of know this intuitively like you can be someone who is perfectly in keeping with libertarian principles of rights but people would still say that like you're immoral or you're sure. dishonorable or you're you're not somebody that people want to be around, not someone of high integrity. So so to me that that, that would be the distinction I think that would answer your question. Yeah, I, I should have asked you, do you think Jesus is a libertarian or see I don't even know. Like it just it, it's a little bit of a complicated question. I don't even know if I would say Jesus is an anarchist, even though like I, I kind of agree with both of those statements, but I also feel like it's um, it's kind of like humanizing Jesus on a level too much that I'm not comfortable with, I guess is like why I'm a little resistant to use those terms. Um, you know, like, like, so I, I don't know. I, I think Jesus, uh, what he taught is compatible with libertarianism. I don't think I need to call him a libertarian or even call sure. him an anarchist. He was certainly, you know, modeling in the sense that like, cause he was fully, it's, it's it's really this gets into like trinitarianism and it's very complicated because like jesus was fully man and fully god so the part of jesus that was fully man i guess was a libertarian and an anarchist but the part of him that was fully god it would be i think kind of like a categorical error to label god a libertarian or an anarchist because yes, those are kind of human uh, labels let's just let's just talk the man jesus the man then yeah i would say like if we're talking about jesus the man yeah, definitely a libertarian and definitely an anarchist. Hmm. Yeah, I would say um, I agree with you that he was compatible with libertarianism. Um, you know, the the way that Jesus lived himself and the way that he wanted people to live, I think is compatible with libertarianism because even though, even with the thought crimes thing, I mean, 
Well, they weren't really crimes, right? Like he wasn't saying, and the minute you lust after another woman, you should be locked in jail. Like, right. like he wasn't saying you violated anyone's rights. He's just saying, right. you know, and I think like, you know, like let's take the spiritualness out of this. Let's just talk about like, is there merit to what Jesus is saying? I think there is. Like if you're in a marriage, but you're going around like, you know, watching porn all the time or even not watching porn, just like fantasizing about being with other women and stuff, um, you might not be honoring your wife very well. You know what I mean? Like even if you're not technically cheating on her, in your like in the, the actions that you're doing in your heart that you kind of are not being loyal to her to the extent that you probably should. So I think there's merit to what Jesus is saying. I don't think he's, you know, he, and at no point does he conflate those things with like, you know, like you've murdered someone like you should, or even when he says you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. He is clearly specifying like you've done it in your heart, but there's sure. a difference between doing something in your heart where it's like you are, in a state of moral uh, conflict in your your mind and your soul that you need to resolve, versus you've committed a crime. Like there's a, there's a difference between those two things. So I don't yeah, I don't right. think I don't that's think actually, he's really yeah. That's actually where I was going with that. That's why I was saying I think even the thought crime um, idea is compatible with libertarianism because he wasn't suggesting that you should be locked up for looking at a woman with lust um you know so like just like i think racism can be compatible with libertarianism i don't think it's i don't agree with it but yeah i, I would agree with that yeah it's like you can be a racist piece of shit and still be consistent in your like right. uh, adherence to libertarian principles that's why i think you know libertarianism is a thin philosophy i don't think it it, it is it is it is um necessary but not sufficient to be a good person right like you can be a libertarian and and not a good person but i think to be as good of a person as you could be you should be a libertarian yeah so here's an interesting little thought experiment here but i think you can not believe in property rights and still not violate libertarianism so i don't think you should be a, a libertarian thinker um, but if you're someone who thinks the idea of private property is stupid, but you personally are not going to infringe on other people's private property, then your existence is not going to sure. violate the ideas of libertarianism, if that makes sense. I so um, when it comes to self-defense, I kind of think that about uh, with, with Christianity. Like I think Christianity mm -hmm. is compatible with libertarianism, but I, I don't think that Christianity teaches self-defense so i don't think that it would violate the idea of libertarianism but i think jesus would not tell you to kill someone to protect yourself um and i realize that there are some verses you can cherry pick and you know certain passages you can find that seem to justify it but from most of what jesus taught self-defense does not seem very high on his list i mean he said like don't fear the one who can kill your body feel the one who can destroy your soul in hell those who live by the sword will die by the sword um, you know, he, there's just like nothing about called sinful by by Jesus or the Bible. But I do get what you're pressing on as far as like, is it something that he would advocate for as preferable or the correct way to live? And, you know, it, it's a complicated thing. Some of those passages, as far as like, so what's to talk about, like the most famous one is those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And mm -hmm. I think this one's really misused by pacifists and taken out of context. And Listen, I'm very close to pacifism, and I think, to be honest, you would even say libertarians are pretty – compared to the rest of the world, libertarians look almost like pacifists at times, right? Because, yeah. like, we – it is so foreign to statists to be against uh, the initiation of force that anyone who's anti-war and who's pro-NAP is almost like, oh, you're just basically a pacifist, and you'll be like, oh, I'm okay with self-defense. Um, to get back to what I was saying – the, the passage, live by the sword, die by the sword, is taken out of context, in my opinion. Um, because, well, let's keep in mind, the context of that pass, of that line is it's Jesus, Jesus in the garden, and the Pharisees have come to take him, Judas has betrayed him, and yeah. Peter goes after them with a sword and cuts the ear of the high priest off, I think. Sure. And uh, Jesus stops him and says, no, stop. And what he says before the line of those who live by the sword, die by the sword, he reminds, I forget the exact wording, but he basically reminds Peter, like, will I not take the cup that my father has prepared for me 
and reminds him, like, did I not tell you this was going to happen? Like, Jesus prophesied this exact moment multiple yeah. times. He'd been telling them for weeks, mm -hmm. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be turned in, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to come back in three days. The problem was, like, the, the, the problem was Peter and the apostles were not living by faith. They were living by their own understanding and, like, by what they could control. And I think in this context, what Jesus Jesus is condemning is not Peter for acting in self-defense, but for Peter not acting in faith, for acting in doubt. And this also, I think, is further supported by, like, the the whole story of, like, like Peter denying Jesus three times before the rooster crowed and all that. Like, the thing with Peter was his 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 like he was brilliant at times in his discernment in terms of like he was the first one to proclaim Christ as um savior. And then that's that famous passage where he's like, you are the rock upon which I will build my church. But he also is one who famously struggles with his faith. And so I think that is what that verse in context is talking about. That's my opinion, at least. Um, the, the other ones about like turning your other cheek and stuff. I mean, again, Jesus said, turn your other cheek, not like roll over and die. I think the context of that passage is like, like the, the, the imagery he uses there and then the examples he gives are not life-threatening scenarios. If someone slaps you, your life's not in danger, really. Uh, he also says like, if someone asks you to walk one mile with them, walk two miles, yeah. uh, you know, and other, other things like that. Is, uh, and, and this was what like really struck me about him in general with the idea of, don't fear the one who can destroy your body, fear the one who can destroy your soul in hell. That was the essence of his being as a man on planet Earth, you know, was like, oh, yeah, I think that's um... the Roman government. I'm not don't worry about the Romans. Don't I mean, I know they can kill you. Who cares? Like, worry about your heart, worry about the condition of your soul. Yeah. Um. So he, he like, especially with that uh, verse, and then the, you know, the, the testimony of his life, it seems very maybe it's not a condemnation of self-defense, but certainly not an encouragement of it. Well, I mean, I, just... I think what Jesus is doing and it's like, it's, it, I don't think what you're saying is quite right, but it's also like, it's kind of in the middle. I think what Jesus is saying is not that self-defense is bad, but also reminding us to have faith and to not, again, like just like with Peter, like don't live by faith in just yourself and your abilities alone. Because if you focus only on that, you are, in a sense, failing to have faith in God. And so there's a, it's a tension, right, between what do we trust God for and what do we take care of ourselves? And it, it this kind of reminds me of like that, uh, you ever heard like that, uh, like, oh, story. It's not like a real story. It's like, it's like the one where like a man believes that God's going to rescue him from a hurricane or a flood and uh, ends up dying after like a boat and a helicopter came and tried to save him. And he said, no, God's going to save me. And then he goes up to heaven and he's like, God, why didn't you save me? And God says, well, I sent a boat and a helicopter for you, dumbass. Why didn't you get on them? So um, th there's this dichotomy between like, you know, trusting God and then kind of like dealing with the real world. And that's a tension that a Christian has to walk on, uh, walk through. And there's no clear answers other than just to, you know, uh, not get too, I think it's like a balance because like we're also said to be in the world, but not of it. And I think that's the dichotomy we have to wrestle with, which is like finding that balance between like not being lazy and just kind of like expecting, oh God, you'll do it for me, but also not being so self-dependent that we don't rely on God for anything and 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 almost like act like we can live our life without God. So th I think that's the tension of those passages that mm -hmm. Jesus is pushing on is not so much condemnation of self-defense but more a reminder to not be too um focused and obsessed on only what you can do and not and not giving god credit to be able to provide gotcha well we're coming up on an hour here so we'll we'll cut it off but um thanks for coming on man i uh i'm noticing a lot of tension between liberty uh, sorry between christians and atheists in the liberty movement and i think it's really sure. dumb um, yeah. <laughs> and I think that people don't understand that, you know, there are certain arguments that are going to resonate with different people better. So people who are religious, if you can make a religious argument for libertarianism, then that's good because you're going to be able to convince them that libertarianism is the way. 
And then people who are not religious, if you can convince them of liberty in a non-religious way, that's also a good thing. And we have to be doing both of those things at the same time. And obviously those ideas can maintain um, congruence with libertarianism, but they're obviously going to conflate with, you know, what you're preaching, what I'm preaching about religion. And that's okay. Like the idea that um, I could, you know, I, I could try to make a comparison between the ridiculousness of the church and the rituals that the church does and the crazy things they'll have you believe. And then, you know, liken that to the state. And then you can point to like, uh, you know, the, the values of believing in something higher than humanity and how the state is just us and it's a crock of shit and it's just centralized planning and it's bogus. Sure. We should be able to do both of those things and not hate each other. And I think you and I are good examples of that, but a lot of people need to learn from that and, you know, need to internalize yeah. that a little bit. I, I was wondering, have just to close out, have you seen that and what do you think about it? Yeah, no, I I uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Um, I think uh, I think the problem. I can't remember my train of thought. I just lost it. Um, yeah, I think I think the problem is that um, some people have baggage for one. I think like there's Christians that have baggage with atheists because like some atheists have attacked them and they might have felt you know personally judged. Atheists that have baggage with the church. Um, I'm really sympathetic to atheists who have baggage with the church and. Honestly, when you said, when you made your thing, like, I'll make a comparison between the traditions of the church that seems silly and the state, it's like, well, I, I do that too, actually. So we're not even really in conflict yeah. there. A lot of what, you know, it's like, I always tell atheists, it's like, we have a lot in common because like, uh, I feel like sometimes I hate Christians in the church more than atheists do sometimes because a lot of what is bad about Christianity to me is a result of that mixture between the church and the state. And I'd, I'd encourage, you know, people, if you haven't, to go study the early church because it was actually a lot different in the way it was formulated and run, um, you know, pre-Constantine before that mixture happened. Um, but, yeah, I think in general, um, we need to focus more on fighting the state than fighting each other. Um, and, you know, you're not going to, I, I, you know, I mean, it's like I'm not going to waste time trying to convince you to be a Christian because, like, you know, I don't think that's my job in this context. You know what I mean? Like if you want to talk to me in private and we want to have more detailed discussions about your faith or lack thereof, like that's fine. But like, otherwise it's like, it's your business, what you believe and it's your life. Um, and I, I, you probably feel that same way about me. And I don't know. I think it's better to approach these subjects with kind of like a humility and intellectual curiosity to be like, if we're going to discuss these things, let's do it from a place of good faith. And uh, hey, here's where we agree, and here's where we diverge, and try to learn from each other. And then get back to like fighting the things that actually matter more. Because at the end of the day, I don't care about your atheism, and you don't care about my Christianity. If we both agree on not using the state to push either of our beliefs on one another, and I think that's the most important thing. And if Christians and atheists and and other people of different faiths, if we can't unite under that then we're screwed. You know what I mean? So we, we have to, you know, hate the state more than we disagree with one another. And I, I feel like that should be more common sense than, you know, an, an easy to an easy conclusion to come to. And um, it's unfortunate that there's some that haven't come to it yet. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I'll definitely have you back on in the future. Hopefully God stops trying to interrupt our you know, video <laughs> meetings that we're trying to do. Uh, but I've got your YouTube linked in the description along with your Twitter page. Anything else you want to plug? Any final thoughts? Any Anything you want to add before we end the video? Um, I don't know if there's anything else I want to plug too much. Uh, I do have a website that's going to be released soon. Um, it's, it's there right now, but if you go there, it's like half up, half still in template mode. Um, but it'll be done, I think, by the end of next week. It's just daniel318.com. Um, so you can go there and I'll be starting a blog and, and stuff there. So if you guys want to check that out, you can do that. Um, and you know, other than that, uh, my closing thought, you know, uh, I saw a comment here where someone said we can defend ourselves better without violence most of the time. And, you know, one thing I think that's interesting is that there's a lot of relation between Austrian economics and Christianity too, which might be something that we want to talk about on a future episode. Cause I, I don't know if you follow, like if you've read, Bob Murphy at all, but like a lot of the things he talks about, he's a 
Christian who is kind of a pacifist, but he talks about a lot about how like, you know, the market, and this is like what Mises talked about too, right? Like the, the market promotes social cooperation and, and peace. And that's what we're all about, right? Like, you know, as a Christian, I want peace with my fellow man. And I want, I want, you know, I want to love my neighbor. And that's what it's about for me. And I, I think that, uh, yeah, to close out that, you know, even if, even if you're not a Christian, you know what I mean? Uh, for one, my podcast isn't just talking about scripture all the time, but two, even if it, even the times where I am, you can just view the Bible as a collection of stories, in my opinion. That's fine. I think stories, even just by themselves, can still be impactful and insightful, and they can uh, teach about valuable archetypes and valuable insights about the human condition and history. And, uh, you know, and so I don't need you to be religious or believe in God for us to have a good conversation, for us to work well together. At the end of the day, um, you know, I try to make sure that uh, I'm working well together with everyone in good faith and that, uh, you know, we don't pick fights that don't need to be picked. So uh, other than that, thanks for having me on, man. It was a really fun conversation. Yeah, anytime. Uh, Go follow him on YouTube. Go follow him on Twitter. Uh, Tomorrow night, I will be streaming with... This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.